Well, tonight, and turn with me once again to the New Testament as we go to the book of Revelation. Revelation, the 12th chapter. And we are going to do our very best to finish all 17 verses. We're not going to go into great detail, but to truly try to cover some element of ground here. And uh, the Word of God is so endless. It's so deep and so vast we could spend, and we pray that we will spend all of our life to study through it and to enjoy it. Never understanding it all, never coming to um, a clear understanding of everything, and yet wanting to do our very best. Uh, and so uh, that's our goal here. Amen. What we have here in the fourth chapter is a continuation of looking at the three and a half years as the Antichrist implements and sets up his kingdom. At this point, we have um, basically um, four symbols four or five symbols or pictures, uh, illustrations. Again, the book of Revelation is a Jewish book. There's a lot of symbols that are used in this passage. And uh, we're going to look at some symbols here that really give us an understanding of characters, individuals that are represented here in the tribulational period. Basically, we have a woman which is the nation of Israel. We have her son, which is Christ. We have a dragon, which is the devil. We have wings that are literally a picture of fleeing and running and, and finding safety. And so as we look at chapter 12, that really all encompasses the thought and the focus of this passage. And uh, just a positive note here, the body of Christ is not mentioned. And I just want to make that once again very clear and as we are removed and taken out, and yet uh, we know the nation of Israel is under attack. There's a great holocaust that's never see, like the world's never seen before. And uh, this passage, as well as chapter 13, speaks volumes of all of those things. What we are leading up to in chapter 13, we find three and a half years into this thing, the mark of the beast is implemented. Uh, the nation of Israel and Jews are running, fleeing for their life as at the beginning, the Antichrist has kind of smooth-talked and he has brought them in so much to the place that they have rebuilt the temple because we know uh, he has to go in and make abomination of desolation there in the temple. And so the temple is rebuilt. So there's, to some degree, a relationship between the Antichrist, the false prophet, with the nation of Israel. And then chapter 13 really shows us how things have kind of shifted. Chapter 12, the nation of Israel is running, flee, uh, fear of their own life being taken from them. Uh, no doubt those that are true Christians uh, running, fleeing, uh, withstanding from the mark of the beast. And yet chapter 13 speaks about worshiping the dragon. Let's just look over in chapter 13 for fun. The Bible says in verse 4, "...and they worshiped the dragon which gave power unto the beast, and worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like unto the beast?" who is able to make war with him. There was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindred and tongues and nations and all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, all people that dwell upon the earth. Notice that. It's not just a select group. Uh, it's not just a certain 
nation that he's uh, governing, but at this point, it is a global, it is a worldwide event. This is something that he takes into his own control. They worship him whose names are not written, here's the key, in the book of life of the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. And if any man have an ear, let him hear. And he that leadeth uh, into captivity shall go into captivity. He must. Uh, he that killeth with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience. Notice this. As we look at the, the tribulational saint, two things in correlation uh, as we see also under the law uh, in association with their faith. An element of obedience and patience, the Bible says. The patience, the obedience there in the tribulational saint is withstanding from the mark of the beast. Being patient, patiently going through tribulation and sorrow, enduring unto the end. Uh, and then yet the Bible gives us the thought of faith. Notice he says in verse 10, Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. And I beheld another beast among uh, coming up out of the earth, and had two horns like a lamb, and and spake like a dragon. That's the Antichrist. Uh, excuse me, that's the false prophet. He is brought in uh, to kind of head up and to spearhead some of these religious events. Notice the Bible says in verse 12, And he exercised all the power of the first beast before him. Why? One and the same. Uh, the devil... Uh, leading and orchestrating. And He causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And He doeth great wonders so that He maketh fire to come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. Again, imitating false prophets. They do that. They take an element of uh, true, genuine um, scriptural evidence of being a man of God or, 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 or abiding by the Bible or having some light of God's work and they, they manipulate they as the Bible says the angel uh, the devil transforms himself into an angel of what? of light so we see this a deadly wound for the first beast the second beast he has power over fire coming down from heaven verse 14 deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of these those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast so again there's the lie there's the great delusion and the deception saying unto them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast we talked just very shortly this morning about idolatry idolatry standing in opposition to the Creator. What are idols made out of? Things that God, in essence, brought into being from nothing. The only one that can create is God because He is the Creator. To make is totally different than to create. Making from something, that's an idol. Men make idols. And so here they're commanded to take and make an idol that the world would bow down, give allegiance to, uh, submit with economics, uh, buying and selling, uh, gain, loss, all of those things, commerce, and to, to in essence worship. Verse 15, He had a power to give unto the image of the beast that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many would not worship the image of the beast should be what? They should be killed. So there's... Uh, the religious persecution. There's the universal religion worldwide, all nations submitting to His leadership, and yet those that don't, and those that don't worship, they will be killed. Verse 16, 
And He causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond. Notice that, free and bond. Now, we know slavery is an issue in our world today in certain parts, not in America and not in, not in other countries, but there are still countries that we see slavery. And He speaks of that. He speaks of that. Bond and free to receive the mark in their right hand or in their foreheads that no man might buy or sell save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his man. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast for it is the number of a man and his number is six hundred three score and six. Now next Sunday night, Lord willing, we're going to look at the mark of the beast, how it's being used in our society and our world today as these things are already into play, into position. We're going to talk about things that we don't even realize as we're in the market, as we're buying and selling, as we're doing business. These things are already in effect right now. And we could go into depth. We could talk about credit cards and social security numbers and that sort of thing. That's just small things that we already kind of know, but things on a daily basis that are already in effect that when it does happen, it's going to flow so fluid, fluidly that it's crazy. Um, but look with me back in chapter 12. We kind of covered chapter 13 tonight as well. <laughs> chapter 12, okay, we've got these... Um, um, Pictures, these symbols. We've got the woman, we've got the dragon, we've got the man-child, we've got wings, uh, and a few others that we'll make mention of. The Bible says, and there appeared a great woman in heaven. Now the woman here is uh, the nation of Israel. So she's the first character that we find represented here in the 12th chapter. So if you want to know what's going on and who's a part of the tribulational setting, the woman which is the nation of Israel, is the first one. Notice she's clothed with the sun. She has a, a garment of radiance about her. We understand there's great similarity. Uh, the nation of Israel are God's chosen people. They represent God. There's no need for the sun in heaven because of Christ. So you see a correlation between the woman clothed with the sun. It says, and the moon under her feet. Now notice, what does the Bible say in the book of Genesis? He made the greater light to govern the day, and he made the lesser light of the two to govern the night. So both entities of light, one greater, one lesser, but light. So her feet, uh, the moon under her feet, and upon her head had a crown of twelve stars. How many twelve? Uh, how many tribes? Twelve tribes. Um, this is the nation of Israel. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth, and pained to deliver. The child there is uh, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came out of Israel. Look over in Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. We'll look in the fifth chapter. Uh, excuse me. We'll look in the fifth verse. Romans chapter 9 and verse 5. It says, Whose are the fathers, and of whom as concerning the flesh Christ came, who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. And yet, we know He is, etern he is eternal, but what, is, what does the Bible say? Look in Matthew. Go to Matthew chapter 1. Just a small little nugget of truth. 
as we look at the genealogies of Christ, verse 1 of Matthew chapter 1, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He is seen in Matthew as the king of the nation of Israel. He came into his own. They rejected him. He didn't receive the crown, but a crown of thorns. And yet he is also the son, meaning the lineage from the promise that was given to Abraham, the father of a great nation. So the woman here is the nation of Israel and her son being Christ, uh, the child uh, travailing in birth, pain to be delivered. Then the Bible says in verse 3, and there appeared another wonder in heaven, another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon. Three words that give description to the devil. This is the devil. Um, you know, my, my son Caleb is kind of uh, interested in dragons right now. And, and um, my other son got very technical with me and I said, Caleb, there's no such thing as dragons. And, he, and Noah said, yes, there is. Revelation. Uh, there's the great red dragon, right? So we understand a few things about the devil. He is he is seen as, number one, a great being, a great presence, a great power. Uh, he is also given to us in the color of red. Red would uh, testify of a few things. Uh, I think we would know red to be, at large, a picture of, of, of bloodshed. Look over in John chapter 8, just to give you a few thoughts here. John chapter 8. Down in verse 44. The Bible says, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a what? Murderer from the beginning. He is a great red dragon, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. So we begin to see more and more just his characteristic. He is represented in the color red. He is a dragon, fierce, large, uh, slithery, subtle, all of those things that would portray a dragon. And the Bible says having seven heads. Uh, seven heads. We know the number of seven uh, implying completion. Ten horns, eleven crowns, uh, excuse me, seven crowns upon his head. Uh, if you notice, the ten horns here are also seen in chapter 13. Look down in verse 1. It says, And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horn ten crowns, and upon his head the name of blasphemy. So it gives us an understanding of who the beast is. He has... Uh, empires. He has authority. He has leadership. He has financial ability. All of these things um, speak of his power, his structure, uh, his his ability. So he is. Uh, we have we we have three characters so far. We have the woman, which is Israel. We have the child, which is Christ. We have Satan, which is. Uh, we have the red dragon, which is Satan. Notice also, the Bible speaks in correlation with the red dragon, his angels. Verse 4, And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. That goes all the way back to the book of Isaiah. O Lucifer, the son of the morning, uh, he was cast out, cast down, right? 
And so he took with him in this spirit of rebellion one third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth. And the red dragon, the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. What was the story all the way back in in the Gospels with Herod? What did Herod want to do? Kill all the children. The child represented here in verse 5, verse 6. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. This speaks about the millennial kingdom as things are getting in preparation for. Tribulational, seven years, three and a half years, the Antichrist is at his zenith. All of these things uh, implemented in his rule, his leadership. The devil is uh, a, a father of lies, deception. But after that, we understand what's going to take place according to the Bible. God's going to annihilate all of those that stand in. Now think about this. For a millennial reign, a thousand year reign, at the beginning of this, there's no pause in time here. You have the battle of Armageddon. The Bible says the blood is going to uh, be as deep as a horse's bridle is tall. He's going to command the fowl of the air to come and eat feast, the Bible says, upon the flesh of those that were there present. At the word of Christ, He's going to annihilate them. They're going to explode and smithereen and die. And then immediately from that point forward, He is going to take a rod of iron. Christ Himself will be presented as King. He will sit upon the throne of David. He will then have certain aspects of his kingdomship to help rule in his leadership. Meaning, what's going to happen at the end of the thousand-year millennial reign? Who's going to be loosed? The devil's going to be loosed for a short season and people are going to follow him. Now think about this with me. Think about this with me. For the first time, the Bible speaks about the millennial kingdom. What's going to happen to the lion? It's going to lay down by the lamb, right? They're going to eat grass. They're not going to be a predator around. Sin is going to be banished. There's going to be health. There's going to be great economics and prosperity. The world is going to go back, if you will, into a condition of the state of the Garden of Eden. Why is all of this going to be done? Because Christ is going to rule with a rod of iron, meaning that no is no, that's it. Justice for the first time fulfilled fully. And yet, what do people want today? Long life. Health. We want prosperity. We want peace. Global peace for a thousand years. And yet, after all of that... Now, now think about this. There's not going to be one dirty magazine printed during that time. There's not going to be a collection of the Bibles and burnt. There's going to be a collection of all these sinful artifacts that people are involved in and they're going to be done away with. I guarantee you. Under his, he's going to rule with a rod of iron. It's going to be blunt force. Anything that stands in opposition to the character of God will be done away with. Will be, uh, uh, there will be laws against it. You better mark it down. Mark it down. And at the end of all of that, man will still 
reject Christ. Will man enjoy the pleasures of the thousand-year reign? Sure. Will they enjoy a healthy living? Would that be kind of cool to see uh, a lion lay down with a lamb and have that, you know, in your property as a pet? Absolutely. Would it be nice the the, the concept of uh, enjoying global peace? For sure. These things are going to we're going to benefit. The world would benefit from. And yet at the end of that, why does man reject Christ? Because man's inward nature is to fulfill the lust and the pride of his life. And it's so sad. It's so sad. So let's get back in our context. I don't know, I threw all of that out. That's kind of nice and neat and free for you. All right. Uh, the Bible says, verse 5, and she was brought forth, and she brought forth a man child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. Now keep your hand here, a man child. Go with me to Psalms chapter 2. Let me give you a few things to think of here. Psalms chapter 2, and we're going to look in verse 8 and verse 9. Now, how do you know, uh, Pastor, that this is Christ? Well, uh, again, there's so many similarities, but let me give you verses to compare. Uh, he says in Psalms chapter 2, verse 8 and verse 9, Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, and thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Look in verse 7. I will declare the decree... The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my what? Son. It's the Son of God. The Son of Mary, having a rod of iron. So just three verses that's good to go along with verse 5 as testimony, as well as other things, um, that this is actually Christ. Verse uh, 6, And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she hath a place prepared of God. And they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and three score. You can um, underline a place prepared and go over to verse 14. It says, And the woman were given two wings of a great eagle. Okay, we've got a few um, symbols here. We've got the woman, which is the nation of Israel. We've got the dragon, the red dragon, which is the devil. We've got the man-child, which is Christ. But now we have wings. I don't know how all of this is going to take place, but I do know that to some degree, according to the Scriptures during this period, the Bible is going to help the nation of Israel, preserve the nation of Israel. There's going to be salvation and um, God's grace given to the nation of Israel uh, through through unique abilities. The Bible says that the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness into her place, a special place prepared of God that she would find safety and protection and rest for a thousand two hundred and three score days where she is nourished, verse 14, for a time and times and half a time, three and a half years from the face of the serpent. Now, let's talk about these 
wings. And let's talk about this great eagle just to give you something to compare to. Look in Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19. And look down in verse number 4. Just going to the Old Testament um, to kind of help with some of these thoughts. The Bible says, Exodus 19 verse 4, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on what? Eagle's wings. Uh, just a thought there. Look over in Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40. The Lord bearing on eagle's wings. Isaiah 40 down in verse 31. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. If you put that in the context of a tribulational setting dealing with the nation of Israel, wow, gives you a new perspective about Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 31. Just something to think about. So look back with me. Here we have verse 6. The woman fled into the wilderness. She hath a place prepared of God. They would feed her there a thousand two hundred and three score days. How is she going to get there? Wings of a great eagle. God is going to uh, give her this place, nourish her during this times and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. Again, a great holocaust like the world's never seen before. We've already talked about that but also God's protection. We've got 140,000 Jewish virgin men. They're going to go forth as witnesses during this time. We've spoken of that. Look in verse uh, verse uh, 7. Now, again, this is prophetical here. Verse 7, And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angel fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. So the, again, the, the dragon, he's the king of Babylon. He's the devil. And he has, uh, uh, he has been cast down. Michael, the great archangel, he has a group of an, angels that fight with him, this war in heaven. Where is, where is the devil? We know he's, uh, he's the, the prince of the air. We also know that he goes to and fro traveling on this earth. As the Bible says in the book of Job, even in the presence of God, he goes to God, he pleads his case against us, and yet God sees the blood of Christ when he looks at us. Amen? And yet there's this war during uh, uh, this period of time. He's cast down. Um, what is it? First Peter. Look over in First Peter. I, I don't know if you've ever seen this verse in this light or not. I saw it. Uh, in this light a few years ago uh, by my father-in-law and I thought man that's very powerful First uh, Peter chapter 5 he says down in verse 8 says be sober be vigilant because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion what? walketh about there is coming a period of time when the devil incarnate in the flesh will walk on this earth we spiritualize that verse but in a prophetical sense, that will tangibly happen. So you see that Satan is cast down, the dragon cast out, verse 9, that old serpent. Where is that phrase from? Genesis, right? Someone you know, wants to ask the question, Who, who's the serpent? He's the old dragon. He's the devil. 
called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. Again, global uh, deception. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come. You know, a loud voice, a sense of announcing, um, the city crier, if you will. You remember historically speaking, the town crier, as they would spread the news with a loud voice saying, these are God's people um, saying, now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of Christ. Four things that are presently coming. It says salvation. Our salvation draweth what? Nigh. Are we saved? Do we talk about salvation in the present sense? Absolutely. But one third of our being is not saved. That's our body. It is saved. We've been sealed until the day of redemption. But right now, it's not entered into that full salvation because we're still sinful in our flesh. Salvation is now come and strength uh, and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ. Notice that statement. The power of His Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. As the Old Testament spoke of one that was set upon a king and ruled the nation of Israel and the world, this is about to happen. It's almost like chapter 12 is this parenthesis that kind of fast-forwards and allows us to see a glimpse of what's coming down the pipeline. It says, For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Who did, uh, you know, who's he talking about? He's talking about the devil. Accuser of the what? Of our brethren. He's the accuser of our brethren. So what is that? Again, how does the devil accuse us? I think in two ways, three ways. He accuses us to Christ or to, to God. And who who's our uh, intercession? It's Christ. He stands on our behalf. He accuses us to God. He also accuses us to ourself. He does. Through past failures, through defeats, through the flesh, it may not be the devil directly, it may be the devil indirectly through demons. I'm not saying that you can be possessed, but you can be uh, oppressed. Great depression. Um, and then also he accuses us with each other. I can't believe she would say that. How dare him? Uh, how dare he? Uh, you know, so the, the joy is that the devil has no more dominion there in heaven. He's been cast down, totally removed. This great war, verse 11, and they overcame him how? Now, 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 listen to this, verse 11. You say, Pastor, you believe in a, uh, a mixture of three parts for salvation in the dispensation of law as well as in the dispensation of the uh, uh, the readiness period, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Do you believe three parts in the dispensation of the tribulation? Absolutely, for salvation. There are three parts. There's always been three parts, even today. 
Faith, grace, and obedience. Faith, grace, and obedience. Now, we, we've got kind of this crossroads in Romans chapter 4 that we're going to examine here shortly about Abraham being justified by faith. There's, and I'm getting ahead of myself here, and I don't want to spoil it, um, but you've got two different passage, passages to look at. Romans chapter 4, James also speaks about Abraham being justified by words. But the thing is, you've got two different events, two different stories that are going on here. What you have here in verse 11 shows us that during the tribulational period, that saint of God is going to overcome the devil how? First and foremost, in every dispensation, it has always been by the blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Even Hebrews tells us of that. The Old Testament saint of God found grace in God's eyes through their faith in the act of obeying Him through sacrificing an animal that would represent in the future the finished work of Christ, the shedding of His blood. Notice it says, by the blood of the Lamb. Then it says, and by the word of their testimony. And then it says, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Not unto death. But the death is speaking of their life being taken from them. Martyred. martyred I can even say it. Thank you. I get tongue-tied. So he, he gives us three things. The blood, the word of their testimony. They love not their lives unto death. Again, if you don't eat three and a half years, seven years, eventually you're going to die. Starvation is definitely something that's going to kill thousands of people not only by running and not having the food there, but by, by being captive, held against their will, imprisoned, and those dungeons and those holding places having no food, no nourishment. The Bible says in verse 12, Therefore rejoice ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them, woe unto the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil has come down unto you having great wrath. Because he knoweth, notice this, he knoweth that he hath but a what? Short time. And when the dragon saw that he was cast unto the earth, he persecuted the woman. Who's the woman? The Jews. Look over in Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. And look over in verse number 9. He says in verse 8, All these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and to kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Do people hate the Jews right now? Yes. They hate the Jews. They hate God's chosen people. What did God say in His uh, promise to Abraham? I'll bless them that bless you, and I'll curse them that curse you. You see that done down through the history of the nation of Israel. One token that you look for in a president is if he's pro or anti-Israel. 
I mean, that would constitute at large to some degree a sense of faith according to the Bible. And yet, here we have uh, the woman... Uh, the woman was persecuted, verse 13, which brought forth the man-child. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness into her place where she is nourished for time and times and half a time and from the face of the serpent. And the serpent cast out his mouth water as a flood after the woman. Now there's some things going on there that's just um, beyond my pay grade. Okay, I'm not even going to dare go there. Uh, the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman. Uh, what does that mean? It could mean a lot of things. I, I think it's more tangible than it is supernatural. It's supernatural. All of it's supernatural in the sense that the devil has embodied a person. But I think it, it could mean exactly what it's stating there, that this... They're fleeing to the mountains and maybe in the mountains, caverns and places that they're being held in a safe haven is a retreat has been found um, by the devil and now they're going to flood it out and kill. Uh, Just something to think uh, about there. Uh, It says, And the serpent cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood and the earth helped what does that mean that means exactly what it says the earth helped who created the earth are the rocks going to cry out does the earth not yearn for the presence of God Um, you know do donkeys speak in the bible does a serpent speak to a woman in the garden of Eden absolutely I don't know how the earth helped the woman. Notice it says, And the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. It may mean something just as simple as this, that God allowed an earthquake at the very place where the water was going to take and kill through a flood the nation of Israel. And that earthquake broke forth the earth and allowed the water to be swallowed up. Either way, uh, it's pretty amazing. It says, And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth, angry with the woman, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed. Okay, look over in Revelation chapter 14. I want to give you a few things to look at there. Now you kind of see what's taking place. She's run to the mountains, fleeing the nation of Israel, hiding. Um, there's a holocaust. There's slaughter, murder. Verse, four, uh, verse 1 of chapter 14. And I looked, and lo, lamb stood on the Mount Sinai, and with him an hundred and forty and four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters and as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. What do you have here? You have an Old Testament musical spirit of joy and happiness. Notice, and they sung, verse 3, and they sung as it were a new song before the throne 
and before the four beasts and the elders, and no man could learn that song but the hundred and forty and four thousand which were redeemed from the earth. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they were virgins. These are they which followed the Lamb, whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from among men, being the firstfruits unto God and unto the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they were without fault before the throne of God. Go with me back over here to chapter chapter 12. Now, now read this with me. And the dragon was wroth, verse 17, with the woman, and went to make war against the remnant of her seed, which kept the commandment of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. You know, what you find here and what you, what you see, or at least what I kind of tend to, to look at, is the nation of Israel, two groups. You've got the virgin Jews. You've got how they have been martyred. You can see that throughout the book of Revelation. Uh, and then here in the very last statement, the remnant of her seed um, and how God secures, God takes care, God provides, God works. He's working. He's worked in the past through the nation of Israel and He's going to work again uh, through the nation of Israel. And I kind of see that as we close out in verse 17, the remnant of her seed. Uh, the dragon was wroth. He's mad. Uh, he's making war with the remnant of her seed. Why? Because of what they're doing. What are they doing? They're keeping the commandment of God. They have the testimony of Jesus Christ. They overcame it in verse 11 through the blood, by the word of their testimony, and they love not their lives unto death. So... Uh, that's all I got. Amen.